I think my case is um, a live example of how PhD is not just academia. Like uh, there are different factors mm -hmm. um, that help you to succeed or hinder you from succeeding. Hey guys, welcome to the Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Akram Wahabi, and today our guest is Dr. Christina Saidi. She's a dentist and a public health professional, and her story is incredible. She did her master's in Japan in Kyoto University, and she is now in the United States working and preparing her PhD. Before we get into the podcast, I would like to ask you to subscribe and or follow this podcast. In here, we talk about science and also the story behind the research, the struggle and the success. In the Scientist Podcast, everyone will learn something new about science while also hearing the stories of the people behind it. By that, we recognize the efforts of these researchers. So follow if you haven't already, and let's get to the podcast. Uh, good evening, uh, Dr. Christina. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, yeah, and uh, yes, good evening over there, and uh, it's good morning over here in Japan. So uh, anyways, I'm glad that you could finally join us today. Uh, so let's get down to the podcast immediately. So uh, would you kindly introduce yourself to us, please? Okay. Uh, nice meeting you, Akram. And thank you for thank hosting you. in your podcast. My name is Christina Saidi. Um, I am a Yemeni uh, previously dentist and currently public health professional. Mm -hmm. um, I hold a master in public health and currently about to finish my PhD. Um, I'm currently working in the United States and uh, San Antonio Metropolitan Health District. And my job is uh, epidemiologist and internal program evaluator. Um, we do evaluation for a kind of granted uh, program that help community health workers um, to do preventive measures and educational activities in the community. Mm -hmm. So my job is uh, to find out the gaps, uh, the difficulties, how things are going and help in preparing the reports that go to the CDC after all. Oh, that's impressive. But uh, first of all, I, I thought you got your PhD from Japan. You, it was just, an, uh, you. it was master's from here only? It was master's and PhD, but my PhD is not done yet. Um, that's something that you will figure out through the uh, okay. interview so, or the discussion. Yeah. That is nice. <laughs> that is nice. An interesting story. So, yeah, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> why did you want to do your PhD and why is, this, is it not done yet? Like, Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's not the best thing to start with, but uh, whatever. <laughs> I mean... So. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, uh, it's it's really interesting for me. Like, yes, I, I, I didn't know. I don't know what happened. Uh, yeah. And um, I think my case is um, a live example of how PhD is not just academia. Like, uh, there are different factors mm -hmm. um, that help you to succeed or hinder you from succeeding. Um, so, first of all, I finished my MPH um, and I was happy with it. My research field was on infection control prevention in dental settings, as I'm a dentist. Um, and I conducted my field work in Yemen. And that was my plan from the beginning. Uh, since I applied to this program, I wanted to do something about infection control in Yemen. And so um, I was really happy that my work was appreciated, um, whether within the university or internationally, it got awarded. and. 
I was really happy that I can continue. I got kind of external validation, like you are doing the right thing, so go on. Yeah. Nice. Um, and I was lucky by that time that there was a, prog a program under the MEXT. Um, it is not a complete scholarship, but it supports your research activity for the PhD. MEXT is like the Ministry of, Ministry of uh, Education, Sports, Culture, etc. Th that is that Japanese <laughs> government provides to us, right? Exactly, yes. Yeah, so um, just so anyone is listening, so they would know what we're talking about. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so hmm. this program is supporting universities. And so um, I was um, I was selected as one of those students who could get this um, chance to be trained on survivability studies and also to be supported for doing um, an in research with impact. Um, and so I decided to widen my scope um, on infection control prevention, not just to address the problem, but to be part of the solution. Can I interrupt you over here? Sorry, I know you're just getting yeah, started, sure. but when you mentioned infection, like what, what kind of infection are we talking about here? Okay, so uh, my specific studies were on uh, prevention of bloodborne infectious diseases such as hepatitis C, hepatitis B, HIV, that could be transmitted in the uh, dental clinic through um, use of instruments, through the treatment itself, and when I talk about infection control here, it's uh, not only for the patient side, but also for the dentist side. So it's the protection of the dentist and it's preventing the, the patient from getting the infection in the dental clinic. I understand. Um, so in my master degree, um, I worked on the patient side. So my focus was on, for example, the sterilization of the instruments and um, the frequency of use, the disposable things that shouldn't be used twice. And uh, you know what I'm talking about. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> so we had um, a kind of, it was a big study. Like um, I targeted more than 250 dentists and uh, around 170 um, dental assistants or nurses in eight Yemeni regions. Eight Yemeni regions. Yes, but they're anonymous, so I cannot declare the names. Oh, okay. <laughs> And, like um, re regions as in cities, like different cities or so, like... So, yeah, that's what I'm going to explain. So it, it has different urbanicity. Like there is the city, there is the town, there is the village. Um, but I tried to be scattered. Like I went to the north and the south and the west and the east so that I can have a kind of snapshot on the situation. Um, but for my PhD, because I was planning for interventional study, we decided to be more focused on one region in particular. And uh, so in 2014, I started my pilot study there. So in my pilot study, we needed to do more of interviews, uh, focus groups, interviewing the nurses, interviewing policymakers, um, interviewing university staff, um, just to have a good knowledge on what I'm going to do. So um, we had very, very good data and I was really happy about it. And I went back very excited, like, telling my sensei, Yush, we're done, we can do it. <laughs> yeah. um, and I got like $10,000 for that year for implementation. So um, yeah, and I started doing the connections and the networkings and everything, but uh, September 2014 changed all my life. <laughs> okay. Um, <What? laughs> I suppose, I, I, don't, I don't think that any Yemeni doesn't know what happened by then, but uh, when the problem, the political conflict started to be more visible in the country. Yeah. 
And um, so the first thing that my professor said, you know, the Japanese like you're not going. Um, you'll be waiting until we see how the situation goes and then you can go. Um, it's uh, because for them, it's we are Yemenis, we are very resilient. Like for me, I can go, it's fine. Um, but he said, no, I'm not going to jeopardize you and the project just um, until we get, yeah, until we, we become sure that everything is going well. And so I waited and waited and waited. And my professor was very patient. And uh, the more the time goes, the worse the situation became. And we got a point where, where my professor just told me, you know, um, I think you need to graduate. Um, and so you have to choose between changing the topic of your research for PhD or changing the setting of your research. And there wasn't, there wasn't um, a simpler solution, like both of them were very difficult for me. I've been working on infection control for three years. Um, I was more confident on that, but... This is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it will get crazier. Just to, wait. To, to, to be honest, like... Yeah, continue. Just please continue. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, this is so interesting. Um, and then after like one year and a half of waiting, it yeah. was the most difficult waiting time in my life so far. Um, we decided that we will go on and we will change the setting um, rather than the topic itself. And then I had to find a country that is facing similar challenges like our country um, to, to conduct something that might be useful for them because I don't like doing research for the sake of research. I like to do research with impact. And so I wanted to help with the results that I would get. That is the least thing I can do in return for those who, who are hosting me to do the research. Um, and so the, the second stage um, of difficulty and challenges started. And uh, after a lot, a lot of research and networking and connections, I decided that I would conduct my research in Egypt. Um, and we decided that we'll go through um, educational institutions, in other words, the universities and the dental schools. And we will like address if there's any challenge in education of infection control or infection control procedures and measures. Um, if there's any shortage that should be covered or gaps. But then, um, first of all, I didn't have anyone from the university itself that could help um, to start or to initiate the process. And I mean, I have a lot of colleagues and all of them were cooperative, but. I needed people from my field to understand what I want to do and to be there and um, to have time for me because everybody is doing PhD and masters. Nobody has, you know, they're yeah. my colleagues and doing what I do. So exactly, everyone's <laughs> busy with their own project. Yeah, so I didn't want to over overwhelm anybody, and um, and so um, with the Egyptian authorities of the universities, for example, the deans and the staff, it took like six to eight months. To get responses that um, I could rely on to go and start implementing. This is already like th three or four years into your PhD, right? Like it's uh, two years. Two two years into your PhD. Yes, that is two years already. Wow! So that's wow. Yeah. That, that, that's <laughs> that's okay. Please go on. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. If, if you have any question in the middle, you can just pose. I'm, me in. 
I I I have so many questions. <laughs> it's not just one, but like I don't like I don't want to you know interrupt your train of thought. So yeah, p- okay. please go on. Yeah. Uh, so I went to the field, and um, it wasn't the easiest and the smoothest uh, thing to do. Um, the time when I arrived to Egypt, and I just started to initiate um, communication to get ethical approval if needed, or approval to implement the study anyways from each university I'll visit there was this incidence of the Italian researcher who was assassinated somehow in Egypt um, his name was Regini if I'm not mistaken I don't know about that like oh um, my god what it, was, it, was, like? it was a big scandal anyways uh, <laughs> wow. at that time and um, for that reason they were not welcoming to any international researcher regardless of being, uh, for example, somebody who is from the similar culture, speaking the same language, or somebody who came from a respectful university abroad. Um, there was a lot of security issues, and so my plan of implementation was ruined. 50% ruined. This is pretty difficult, to be honest. Uh-huh. So I had to be um, very resilient and to remind myself of the target and the goal and among the 1,000 goals that I put myself at the beginning of the PhD, my final goal was to graduate. I mean, yeah, that's the least <laughs> that you can do, right? Um, at least that's what I, I was hoping for at that time. Um, yeah. And so when I was in the middle of everything um, and this incidence and the rejection from different universities to host me and the difficulties within the institution to collect data for different reasons. Um, some of them are about the collaboration. Some of them are about the student situation. Some of them, the exams. Um, I wouldn't say that wasn't a good timing. Theoretically, it was a good timing, but things always change. Um, and you can just figure that figure that out when you go to the field. Um, I- that's part of our life as researchers. So. <laughs> It's, 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 but it's, it's, how can I say, to be honest, like before talking to you before today, until maybe one hour ago, I thought public health research is much easier than, you know, lab research. I understand. But but Um, now like this, actually this opened my eye, like, no, like there are other (laughs) prospects that I haven't been considering. I haven't been thinking of, which is political situation (laughs) in the country that you're researching in. We're working with public health. Yeah. So we're working with people. People aren't changeable. Circumstances changes. Like totally. Um, you can't trust what is going on, even if you are in the best situation. Like I see nowadays, I'm working here in the United States, which is one of the top countries in the world, and we still struggle with research and we have our own challenges and problems. Yeah. So I was saying that it's not the perfect, easy job that people think. Um, no, but, it's not. Uh, <laughs> now I see. It. But I'm enjoying the fun of it, anyways. I mean, research in general is pretty interesting because you know you make a hypothesis and then you you start to discovering whether it's true or or, or not. Like when, but whether what what the way that you were thinking was actually correct or not. And it's it's a lot of fun when you start gathering data and you know seeing how things turn out, but. I would say it also it's quite frustrating when you have something like a PhD degree on, on, on hangs on the balance of whether you actually finish your research or not, right? Yeah, that's true. 
Okay, so um, please go on. Uh-huh. Sure. So um, I was practical. Like I had either to do it or not to do it, to leave or to continue. So um, I decided to go on with what I have um, as much as I could. I used all the, my communication skills, my abilities to talk, to communicate, to... Um, I did everything that could be done at that time and um, I gathered what I could gather and I came back to Japan and I told my professor like, hey, this is what I have. So what do we do? How, how was it? Like, was he supportive of your like decisions? Who? The, your professor. My professor is the main supporter, but he never intervened. Like, he let you do it. But he's always there if you need him. Um, So uh, planning-wise, implementation-wise, he is like a mentor, but he's never the supervisor that, like, nag on your head, like, you should do this and that. No, he is never that person. And that was great, but challenging at time when, when you really need somebody to tell you what to do because you're not... An, you are not experienced enough in such situations. Yeah, you're not an expert yet. Right? I'm not an expert yet. I'm, I'm in the process. So hmm. um, I got the mental support that I needed all the way. And um, I got the advice, but I had to do everything by myself, including planning. I mean, I mean, PhD is kind of that way. Like you make mistakes, yeah. you research, you make mistakes, and then you try to figure them out. But yeah, like this is... I, 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 See, the reason I made this podcast is I always talk to people and they, everyone has a different story about their PhD, yeah. but so far, this is the most interesting. Like, wow. I've, I haven't heard something like this. Actually, yes, there's one There's one more friend of mine, actually, and he's also from Yemen and his research was kind of related to the situation in Yemen. Mm. And this whole thing blew up like it, it, it just did not go as planned. But that was not in public health. Like that research was completely different. Anyways. Yes. <laughs> uh, the thing is, um, it's not only my PhD research that was based on um, like Yemen, but it was what is after. Like for me, I made like a six or seven years plan and Yemen was everywhere along the way um because that, that was my my point of starting my graduate studies and going to japan and doing all what i did um but at that point it just disappeared and you are looking at your country being burnt and your family is being evacuated and you have to do the research at the same time while while there was like i don't know how many airstrikes per day Uh, where my family live, I was in, in Egypt collecting data. And, you know, it's kind of, it's mentally exhausting. Totally. It's, it's um, unbelievable. Yeah. But, but I had to do it. I had to do it for the sake of everyone who supported me. I had to do it for the sake of my family. I had to do it for the sake of my country. I had to do it for the sake of my professor who gave me everything that could be given. Um, But after I came back and we started to do the data cleaning and everything, we found some problems that needed to be solved. And um, But at that time, I could tell you that I started to get this burnout. Like hmm. I got enough. I, I can't focus on everything at the same time. I needed some time off. and um, But I had to continue the process because I needed to graduate. And so that was the difficult decision. Like... A question that you usually ask for all those whom you interview. Yeah. Yeah. 
honestly, yeah, this is a this is a lot more difficult than I expected from you know public health professional. Public health professional, because I was like, what's the most difficult thing that they're going to do? Like they have no. data and they just analyze it, but like no, like this is a whole lot another level of difficulty. And basically, like you said, like it's public health. You deal with the public, so you will face an un, un, unforeseen kind of problems or challenges challenges there you got okay <laughs> this is yeah. off to a great start and so um at that point we started to work on the data how to make it better and how to overcome the challenges in the data collection stage mm. um and it took that took time that took a lot of time a lot of discussions a lot of um poses and um uh, beside that my professor himself is reti was retiring by then and um there were issues with his retirement and that's a uh, big thing in japan so this is you know like, that you know what yeah, i'm talking about yeah like, i know for, for me it was the, the same <laughs> exactly so you, it's basically you're supposed to graduate before your professor retires otherwise exactly. you're, you're 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 kind of like in a very bad situation exactly and the scholarship was over by then so if you don't have your lab support then you have to support yourself financially and we are just students so i needed to figure out what to do with them um we found a solution like i can i could continue to work on my research but i'm not formally a student at kyodai uh, kyodai university where i used to be mm -hmm. um and i kept working with my professor but then he started to have his own health challenges he got cancer and treatment of cancer and um a lot that was a lot so i reached a point where i needed to do something different um i wanted to regain my resilience that i'm losing and i needed to do something that encourages me and um give me a push to come back and for the wheel to roll again um it was interesting what i decided to do and might seem crazy Please but let me know. I'm really. really I decided to go for um, kids education. Um, that was like uh, part time, but for me, it was um, a change of environment. That's, um, that's one way out, to be honest, <laughs> and basically refresh yourself. Yeah. So yeah. Um, mm. I started to do this uh, kids education, and you know, in Japan, you could teach English or help the oh. kids in the kindergarten or yeah. so i didn't i didn't change professionally i gave myself the space to explore before deciding nice um and so i started to work for kindergartens and um do kind of tours and you know that kyoto is very beautiful city if you've been oh, there yeah yeah i i've just i was there like a, a month ago yeah and it was my first i've i've been in japan for like this is i think my ninth tenth year right and that was the first time I, uh, I I I went to Tokyo, and dear God, that place is beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful in all the seasons. So um, I, I consider it as my city, even though I lived there for just ten years. But it is my city. Just ten years? Um, yeah, I mean it, that, that's a long time. You know, I'm not Kyoto Jin per se, but um, you know the Japanese how they consider you as a city Jin. Always when, a foreigner. You are always a foreigner, so I. But I consider Kyoto as my Kyoto. Yeah. Um, and so that also gave me a chance to explore the city, which I didn't know. I just knew a couple of streets and my university, and that's it. 
So I went with the students around. The, we had a lot of cultural activities and I didn't have the guilt that I'm not studying because I was doing it for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at one point, uh-huh. Can I ask, like, did you like kind of stop your program at that point or like what, what did you do? How, how did you manage with the, you know? Okay, so at that point, um, when you drop as a former, uh, like a formal student, you have the right to defend your thesis within a couple of years. Mm-hmm. You can still work under the mentorship of your professor. But for example, simple things like you cannot get access to the library and you cannot apply for scholarships through the university and such things, but you can still go to the university, you can still go to the to your professor and you can apply when you're ready. Um, so that's a system. I'm not sure if it is available in other universities, but it, it is available in, in Kyoto University. Kyoto. But not not many foreigners do that, you know. It's just for circumstances because every foreigner wants to finish and either to go back or to start the career, you know. Um, yeah, I have a, I have also other friends that have been in kind of similar situations, but they extended and luckily they were able to finish. Of course, none of them was in a very similar like yours, like that, that, that situation. I, I, I understand the, how difficult that is. Uh, thank you for understanding because even some friends couldn't understand. But I think people no. from Yemen, people from Yemen would really understand because yes. they live there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, you're under a lot of pressure. Like, I, I always say this, like people tend to underestimate how difficult it is to be in another country doing PhD mm. and especially a country like Japan like uh, where you speak English but not everyone speaks the language so you have another obstacle of having a language barrier and uh, luckily you had a very supportive uh, professor yeah some people don't have that either so <laughs> but at least like let's look at the bright side Speaking of the bright side, was there anything exciting about, you know, your PhD kind uh, of period? Yeah. yeah, of course, because as I told you at the beginning of my PhD, uh, my master's research got international award. That was at the beginning of my PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into this new program that is supported by the university and it was competitive program. I was accomplishing a lot at the beginning of the PhD. And among all these difficulties and problems, um, I got married and I started my family with a very supportive husband. That is very Uh, important. (laughs) And he's also working in the same university. So he also understood my situation and he understood what I was passing through. Um, Like the difficulties of research and being a student and all this. So um, that was a very bright side of my PhD era. I would say. You got married during your PhD? Yes. Okay. That's a very bright thing that happens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but (laughs) um, because of the situation in Yemen, my family was not in the wedding and I had it in Japan. So my friends and my professors were my family, Um, which is, I mean, it's sad, but I was, I was really blessed with everyone around me at that time. Basically looking at the half whole part Full, of the cup. Yeah, 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 that's the thing. That, um, that's the way to go. And I really appreciate my my professor's support. Um, he is a real human being. Um, he was there for us. And he appreciated our situation all the time. And he was patient. He was 
a lot patient with me and with my mistakes and with my problems, with my nagging, with my calling, with my emails. Um, he was there all the time. So um, I think he was, he was one of the reasons why I am or I will be successful one day. Um, I, I, I think always... you're pretty successful already. Like, come on, don't under, don't uh, <laughs> underestimate stuff because Or, I, I've always heard about you since ever. I mean, this is officially this is the first time we talk, but I've always heard about you ever. Like, I think I joined a group before even coming to Japan, like uh, the Japanese in in Japan kind of Yahoo group or something. Like, I don't oh. know what was that, and I always saw your name popping up and. When people talk about research and researchers in Japan, your name always is mentioned. So, kudos on that. Like, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, if I may ask, what was the point that kind of you, you decided to move to the States and, you know, continue to work there? Like, what happened? So, um, for the most, uh, my husband got a position here at the University of Texas. Um, he his major is research cancer research um, and he's doing kind of what they call DNA repair and those kind of experiments so he got a position at um, children cancer center here um, and so it was like okay I think it's time to move because I wasn't moving I, I wasn't moving you know um, I was stuck and I was waiting for a solution and It was a decision not only because of work, but for me, um, I wanted to go out of the difficult comfort zone, mm -hmm. I would say, because I wasn't happy, but I was relaxed, like, I'm here, that's fine. I got used to it. I have many friends here. I can just stay forever. Mm -hmm. But something was like, it's the same thing that told me, go out of Yemen, expand your scope, start something different and help. Um, the same voice, the inner voice that came to me and told me, okay, it's a good chance for you, just move. And I moved not knowing whether I'm going to find a job or I'm going to graduate from the PhD or what would happen. It's just that my husband got a job. And so we moved here. Mm -hmm. um, I'm at the COVID era. And um, things were quite close, but we could, we could start somewhere. Like uh, I stayed uh, unemployed for a whole year. But um, during this year, I could publish the paper finally. And um, I could uh, participate <laughs> in some other research with some people. <laughs> and um, yeah. I established my social circle here, my academic circle here. Um, and I started to dig into like, what is next? Uh, it took me one year to figure out. the crazy ideas like you know i'm in texas and texas is the, like i just wanted to ask i just wanted to, <laughs> I, i was going there thank you for thank you for you know asking like answering before i even ask the question yeah so um texas it's what we have in mind is it's like the, the cowboy culture and the the ranches and the animals so at one point i was thinking like i can invest I could invest and, and start my own business. You know, in the USA, they support that, right? Yeah, like... Um, so <laughs> I, I think about it like evening time and I discuss it very seriously with my family and my husband and the next day, well, what was I thinking? Mm -hmm. um, and so after one year of a lot of 
boats and learning about the culture and learning about the atmosphere, I decided to start applying for jobs. Um, mm-hmm. So the rest of the, my, my PhD story is not done yet, but there's no much that I can say about it um, in the progress. And I hope that sooner or later, I will let you know that I graduated. <laughs> I I will make sure to host you one more time if, if you're willing to. Inshallah. You know, inshallah. After, after you finish your PhD. Because honestly, like this is, this is not this one of the most difficult stories, to, to be honest, even changing countries like, you know, due yeah. to everything that happened is that's not an easy process. The decision, yeah. the decision also to actually do so is is not easy at all. Yeah, of course. And uh, but I consider like one of the good things about me is that I adjust fast. Um, like I don't have a problem of adapting to the new place. Um, mm-hmm. I have problem to adapt to the new situation. Like for example, changing my research suddenly or um, the war that happened. Or it, it, I'm, I'm still in trauma now. Um, but to move from one country to the other, um, it was kind of, I think, smooth. Um, yeah, so my issue was like, what I'm gonna do here? Um, am I going to be like enjoying the time and staying home or being a housewife, which is not wrong at all. It's just a life choice. Um, am I going to try to utilize my skills and to do something? And you know that in the United States, the work environment is, is really different. And I never thought that I will get a job here. Um, this is a question that I wanted to ask. How do you find, what are the differences between like, you know, being in Japan and now being in the States, especially in Texas? How's, how did your lifestyle change from, you know, both countries? I would say uh, one thing is that everything is bigger and wider here, like the houses and the streets yeah. and the cars and um, the, they say everything is bigger in Texas, right? It's true compared to the other states. It's true because <laughs> yeah. it's a big, it's a big, um, yeah, it's very wide state and um, there's a plenty of space. So Pre- pretty wide, wide, right? It is wide. It's, it's I, I, I thought you said pretty white. No, no, not twice. <laughs> no. Like, um, yeah, yeah, there is there is a variety of demographics here. It's not just yeah. white. Um, okay. There is a lot of the Mexican influence, I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I like that because we are different people, different culture, different backgrounds. And this is what makes me really excited all the time. Like, I don't like to be in, you know, like... You know, sticking out. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have I have friends from different um, backgrounds here, and I'm blessed with mm. that. My team itself is like very like yeah. So, anyways, uh, so the environment, the changes in lifestyle is that, mm. Um, mm. and of course the communication is completely different. Um, like the protocols that you used to use, like the social cues in in Japan are completely different from the social cues here. Like. People are more outspoken and they express their feelings uh, way easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are not stick to a protocol of doing things like how to give your how how to deliver a gift or how to do this, how to do that, what to act when. But still, it's not like when you when you hear about the U.S. and you say, "Oh, that's the free land; you can do whatever you want." It's not that. 
I mean, like you always have some social norms that you have to yes, kind of adhere still, to. You you live in a society. Right? Exactly. You still have yeah. the social norms, and those who are not following those social norms are completely not following. They are not very welcome, I would say. Um, but it's easier to adjust. Much unwritten rules. Mm-hmm. Um, like things are clearer, I would say. In, in Japan, they have things. A thing a saying that they like kukyo yomenai, which means like you can, you kind of you can't read the air. You can't. Right? Yes. So like it's, so some people cannot read the air, and these people suffer a lot. Like this is I I, I know <laughs> I've I seen I've been in that situation too. <laughs> Mostly, even Japanese themselves they still have problems in reading the air. Um, yeah, it's it's not easy. It's very homogenous and long term like it's hundreds of years of um close culture like um but i was trying to be very neutral and i wasn't intrusive in the community or the society that much i i liked when they call me kakakujin i didn't have problem um, i mean, I'm I mean we, we so. are foreigners so yeah there's nothing yeah it doesn't you matter. are the the stupid kakakujin it's fine for me that's like a license to do mistakes because if you start to be strictly following because you want to be merged in that society then you will have problems because that's not how you were raised um <sighs> japanese are being raised to be japanese from kindergarten or or nursery mm-hmm. from home while we're adults and we went there and we just want to jump it's that's not the way that goes So um, mm-hmm. yeah, I was saying that I would be respectful and appreciating, mm-hmm. um, but not necessarily following. And this is what I do here as well. I mean, after all, I'm proud of my roots and I'm proud of my culture, and I don't want to change it completely. I just want to adapt the good things from any culture I encounter. Um, that Definitely, is me. that is me. And awesome. I, I think that's an awesome way to, you know, conduct yeah. yourself. Um, I don't disagree with those who decide to change completely. That's their way of thinking. Um, but speaking about myself, I can't just completely go out of my scope and my culture and my um, how I was raised and just decide to change. But I'm adapting. I'm adapting, um, and I'm adopting um, new traits and new things that I didn't have before, uh, just because I believe they're good. Give me one. Give me one example. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know that. I can't explain it verbally, but if you deal with me, you will recognize. Like, okay, you changed, kind of. Yeah, you changed, kind of. <laughs> like my friends, uh, my long-term friends, they would say you changed. Um, or if they talk about something and I give my perspective, then that wasn't your opinion ten years ago. Like, what happened? Uh, um, I mean, but this is part of growth as a human. Like, yes, I agree with you. But my point is. It is kind of influenced by the cultures that I encounter. Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah, that makes sense. That that totally makes sense. To be honest. Okay, one very. <laughs> it might be funny, but this is something that I I got from Japan is mm. food waste. Mm-hmm. Um, like previously, it wasn't good if you, for example, if you have a guest and and you provide with just barely enough food. You know, in our culture, it means that you are greedy. And so it yeah. doesn't it doesn't matter if you keep that food afterwards or if you throw it to the garbage, but you have to provide a lot of food. And so mm. I am not doing this anymore. 
and I don't care what people would say, even if they are from my culture. Honestly, yes. Honestly, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, right? we have this thing about generosity and having to show that you can. You can be generous, but people but have one stomach. I mean, you don't have exactly. to. Exactly. How much are you going to eat? <laughs> and I'm giving that example because I like cooking. So I, I, I try okay. to choose something that is good, but doesn't have to be abundant. Um, this is something I really learned from Japanese. No food waste. And I appreciate that. Honestly, that's a good take. That's a, yeah. that's a that's if there's one thing to take from here that would that's a good thing to take so yeah that that was one thing and yeah so I, i'm i'm really sorry to take you back into the hard times but i have one more question sure and, sure. and this is a question that i make sure to ask everybody what 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 were the things that what were the methods that you used to get yourself out of you know pits of depression or like feeling out of it you mentioned changing like and starting to teaching kids and stuff so was that like always the case for you like is the did does or did working with kids kind of help you relax or enjoy your time better or like what were there other methods that you used so um going back even before the phd um I must say that I was depressed even th during my master's. Um, I was a very um, achieving, um, accomplishing and ambitious mm -hmm. um, student who came to Japan to do something great. And at that, at that point of time, um, your plan was to change the world. And then you arrived to Japan and you had the first shock, language. Yeah. And even though my, my department- That's a big blow. <laughs> My department was um, was really international. Like we were, I would say, eighty-five to ninety percent of students were were international by then, and the language that was spoken in the department was mainly English. The presentations were in English. My professor and his wife used to study to work sometime in the United States, so they are kind of open-minded. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a problem within the environment of my department, but the other professors and the classes that I had to take, which were plenty were in Japanese. And the most thing that they could help us with is to send us the materials for the classes in advance so that we can translate them. And by then, um, 2012, Google Translator was not that smart. It was and dumb. It was really <laughs> tough. It was dumb. <laughs> it was really tough. And we had to, we were two international students in that batch in particular, and we had one Japanese very kind students who are still friends till today. She always helped us to understand. She was like interpreting and trying to translate um, at the time of the courses that she she failed in one of the courses because she kept the whole time translating for us and she forgot to take notes and stuff. And I, I felt so guilty, but she said, it's okay, I had to help you. Um, this, you know, this is one of the things that- Yeah. I, I, I don't wanna, Please continue. We'll go back to this point a bit later. Yeah. What, what were the things that you used, you know? Yeah. And so um, after this course was done, um, I passed and in some classes, Alhamdulillah, I got really high scores, but hmm. um, mentally I was really tired, exhausted, and I didn't want to do it anymore. And I was feeling all the bad feelings and the negative thoughts, like, because before coming to Japan, I had another scholarship to come to the United States, the Fulbright, and I declined mm -hmm. it. 
um, I was I was admitted to Florida Tampa, and I apologized like three months after moving to Japan. Like I'm going to continue in Japan, and don't ask me why. I'm not. <laughs> not because I'm hiding. Not because I'm hiding. It's because yeah. um, I don't know why. But I I started to count the blessings later on. Like I met the great person in my life, my professor, and. Mm-hmm. I could accomplish a good research. Maybe it would be difficult if I if I started here. And you met your husband there. Yes, and we got married. Yeah. And mm. um, I had brilliant friends that we still in touch until today. And I learned about completely different culture. That's really enriching to my personality. So I counted the blessings. But by then it was just one thought: Why didn't you go to the United States? At least you could speak the language. Um, it's, it's written but, in the stars. <laughs> I mean, even my professor was telling me. You lo- you 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 decline the Fulbright. What said, were you thinking? <laughs> I, I I knew I knew a PhD student also here who came to Japan. Uh, her name was Sheikha. Uh, she was from the United Arab Emirates, and she also declined a kind of a scholarship. But it's for them, it's a lot easier to move to the states or to whatever. Yeah, I know. You know, for Yemenis, it's a whole lot. Another more reason to feel guilty, yeah. Yeah, you know. So, but uh, she couldn't. She 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 just quit and she went back to Emirates. Emirates yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Again, going back to the question, yeah, like, yeah, what, what so, did you do to get out of these pits? <laughs> yeah, so sorry. I was to volunteer in Tohoku after the earthquake, the big earthquake. We are going to help to reconstruct a farm, a strawberry farm that was hit by the tsunami. And it's not very far from Daiichi, um, the plant, the power plant. And not many people would like to volunteer, but the government gave us a space, like where to work and where not to work. And it just came to my mind, like, let me try. I want to do it. And I had to sign a paper um, that I am responsible of myself going there. And You're a much better person than me. I would have never done that. <laughs> And um, and I told my professor that I'm going, and he was shocked at the beginning, but he was happy. He said, "Please take care of yourself." Um, and so I went. I went to Tohoku, and we spent three days working on yeah. a farm, strawberry farm, and that was my my way of coping because I saw people who are living a way much disastrous situation that I was thinking I am in. They lost their homes. They lost their lives. They lost their close ones. They lost family members, and they're smiling. They're hoping that they will they will make something in future. And actually, the government they just put signs in front of their houses like you are not allowed to enter or to do any construction there. But they are hoping after a year or two we're coming back and we are building our houses. But to be honest, like, I don't like. The, you know, there's a whole radioactive situation going on over well, there right I, like I, I get what did, you did, mean. Did, did you have meters at least to show if you were exposed to any radiation the leader of the team oh, yeah sorry. the leader of the team dead and huh. we were we were group it wasn't just me going by myself it was a whole team organized mm-hmm. from kyoto and we had this training and stuff but i'm telling you what i did whether it was wrong or not I learned a lesson. Oh, I'm not saying it was wrong. I'm, I'm, I told you in the beginning, Dangerous. you're a much, a much better person than me because I would never do that. I'm, I'm way too selfish to do that. I know that about myself and that's the truth. When I decided to go, 
my point was, I'm going to see what people are doing there. I'm going to do something good for someone. And it would, it would make me feel better. I'm sure. I have that belief. And um, being a public health professional, um, I should have been more, more careful. But honestly speaking, at that time, I didn't think about it. I just didn't. I said, okay, if those Japanese people are going and they know what they're doing, I'm following. Uh, let go for one time because I'm, I'm quite very cautious person and anxious mm-hmm. person and I think a lot but I, I'm telling you honestly I didn't think I just went well that just shows how good hard person you are so and I don't know I, like I, I salute you on that and um, when I arrived there immediately I felt the vibe like I can't I never imagined I know that Japan is very quiet Uh, country like you know if you go to the street you don't hear something but I've never been in such silence before Mm. at that destroyed village it was a real scary calming silence and there was nothing absolutely nothing and Mm. the story is that tsunami just hit everything and everyone Um, I didn't know by then who survived but the village is not there anymore. Um, and so we spend, yeah, it's devastating. But on the other hand, it, it made me start counting the blessings um, that I have. And then we went to help in this strawberry farm. And for three days, we, we actually worked and we could dig like a water storage and they started to dig the land and... Um, the farmer himself, the owner of the farm, helped, and he said that we we pushed him and we made him really motivated, and um, he started to think about it in a different way. And he has new friends now. And when I came back, mm-hmm. I just decided to go on, and I immediately started planning for my research. And um, I I regained a lot of my resilience and. I had a couple of chances after that to go. I came to the United States a couple of times for conferences and for courses, and I figured out like things moving. So go on, you're doing something good. Um, yeah, so my, my way of coping is to go out and do something that I have never experienced before. That's, that's a great my advice. way. That's, uh, a, good, that's, that's a great <laughs> Like travel, um, mm-hmm. join an event, do a different activity, start a different job. It doesn't have to be long-lasting. It could be even part-time. Do something different. That's that's a great advice. So, yeah. And and it moves us to the next point <laughs> that I wanted to ask you. Sure. Uh, what would be your advice to somebody who is considering doing postgraduate studies or like starting a career in science? PhD, starting a PhD, is there anything that you would, if there was one thing that you would like to tell them to kind of think of or do before joining, what would what would it be? If there's one advice, it will be do it when you really want to do it. Not because you need a promotion, not because you think it's cool to be a PhD student, not because you need the title. Because once you sign for it, you need to work really hard and you need to be resilient and you need to have a lot of characteristics other than being a hardworking student. 
Um, there will be the external factors, there will be the internal factors, there will be the policy, there will be the university system, there will be the country that you move to. So it's not just about being good at studying. Um, do it when you really want to do it because this motivates you a lot and it pushes you to go on. That itself is a motivator. That That is a great advice. Um, I, PhD is a huge commitment. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. it, it, like you said, like make sure that you're doing this for the right reasons, right? Yes. And so for me, if I go back and I don't like to say if it happened, but if I knew that the war will start in Yemen and I wouldn't be able to do on with to go on with my project and the plan that I was planning to do will not be working, I wouldn't go for PhD. I mean, yeah, we, because, if we knew the war is going to happen like yeah, so many so, other decisions do that. <laughs> so for me, PhD was not the priority as a PhD per se. But because I had other things under the umbrella of PhD that I could accomplish. Understood. Yeah. So, uh, I, I guess, yeah, th- thank you for all, all the great insight and the information that you gave us today. I I hope that I'm going to be able to host you again in this podcast once your PhD is done. Thank you. Uh, Inshallah. So Even if it I, is I, not done, maybe when I accomplish something bigger, then you can host me again. I'll be happy. I'm, I'm sure you're going to accomplish so many things. I mean, I I, I, I checked your LinkedIn and uh, all I can say is I'm, I'm really impressed. You, you, It looks like you're doing an amazing work. You know, we have to list those things to be hired. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, but these are things that you've done, you know, yes, and, of course, and, yeah. and, and, and the, I worked hard again. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And this is this is why I'm, you know, I'm really honored to have met you, to have finally been able to, to speak to you and to have you as a guest in my humble podcast. I would like to tell you that um, I usually, I am a big supporter. That is my character. And if it is a big podcast or something that is famous, oh. um, I wouldn't see a value in participating. Like, what do you want? Um, it depends. I will be very strict, like, mm. you know, but mm. for those who are startups, um, I'm really with you, especially if you have a cause and a value. And I'm sure that you do because um, the people whom you're hosting, they, they are giving a lot of information for those who are planning to start postgraduate studies and they give their stories and they give an, a different insights that you wouldn't read online or in a book. Exactly. So, th- so this is why I-, I wish that there was something like this, you know, <laughs> before. Yeah, so this is why is I started it. That is something that I also wished. So yeah. <laughs> um, immediately once you contacted me and I took a look at um, at your podcast and the, the topics that you are bringing up, um, I immediately said, no, I'm, I'm going to do it. So oh. don't don't say it's small or big, but the value is really great. And I, I, I salute you for that. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more research, more accomplishments, more great things from you. And um, yeah, if, if anybody is uh, would like to be in touch to ask any questions or to get any consultation or whatever it's needed uh, to help to accomplish, please um, just click us and I will be available all the time. No problem. Uh, if you don't mind, I, I, I will put your contact in the description of this episode, sure, whether sure, it sure. was on YouTube or on like the different podcast platforms. So I'll put your like, is it OK to put your LinkedIn or your email? What, I can, I can give you the email. Uh, you have the email already, so you can share yeah. the email. You can share the LinkedIn. It, I mean, it's public figures, um, public profiles. So <laughs> OK, public no. <laughs> Not yeah. yet. I mean, you are a public figure. <laughs> no, honestly. No. 
<laughs> I, I honestly like and and this is what I I'm I'm really happy about is that I'm I, I hosted you and I really take you for an example of you know a a what women from a region from our region can accomplish you know mm. you're a prime example of you know Yemeni women hardworking educated and actually making it and making a difference in all over the world not just like you know in in a small environment but being a researcher is something that you know you could touch thousands of lives with your research so i i all i can say is that kudos and um i salute you. you with your accomplishments and i am really looking forward to seeing uh more uh from you know the great things that you are already doing thank you so much thank you so much likewise thank you okay then uh thank you guys for joining us today and i'll see you in another podcast <laughs>